So why don't you come to Honduras? I hope by the end of this day, you'll be able to answer that question. So Dave asked you a hugely important question last Sunday. How many of you, when you were little, were afraid of the dark? Raise your hand loud and proud. Loud and proud. All right, you bunch of scaredy cats. No, I'm joking. Me too. Me too. And the first service, I, I, I got him confused. Last week, I, I knew there was a service that I was looking at that a bunch of people didn't raise their hand, and I thought it was the second service, but it was the first service. And I said something about in the first service. It's like, oh, this is the service that didn't raise their hand. I just said, you know, I'm like calling them out. So I'm with you guys. I was the same way. And I remember that. But you know what? For me, it wasn't so much the darkness is what the darkness brings, right, when you're a kid? It's that in the darkness are monsters or whatever it may be, right? See, that's how it was for me. My mom had tried everything. I remember we got in a, a bunch of those night lights. You know, one had Mickey Mouse on it and a baseball and, and all these different things she thought I would like and all these different things. And, and then she cracked all these different doors with different lights that would shine through. Any combination that she could do to get me to be able to, like, not be afraid of what was in the dark. And so, you know, I got, like, a, all kinds of fuzzy bears and all those kind of things, but nothing worked. And then she had one of those mom moments. You know what I'm talking about, moms? God has rewired your brains once you have your children, and you have these, like, epiphanies, these things that happen. You're just like, oh, it's, it's an idea, and it's a mom idea. It's a mom thought. And she's like, I need to get him a monster flashlight. Now, I know there's Polk County boys in here, and so when you hear monster flashlight, you're thinking a flashlight as big as your tires, right? No, 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 no. I'm talking about a flashlight that chases away monsters. So we did what everybody does when you go to look for a flashlight that chases away monsters. We went to the drugstore, of course. And in Oklahoma, there was a place called Ecker Drugstore, like Walgreens. And um, we walked in, and um, we walked into it, and my mom, you know, the clerk came over, and it's like, you know, my son, he's, he needs a, a monster flashlight. He needs a flashlight that chases away the monsters. And the clerk just played right into it, and he's like, oh, yeah, we, we have a whole section of those. So he's like, come on, man, come here, you know, and so we walk over, and there it is, all the flashlights, and of course, it's just a normal flashlight section, but to, you know, to a, you know, six-year-old, that's amazing, you're like, oh, all these monster flashlights, and I pick out this little red one, and it's not like your typical, the long one with the round, you know, that you usually see that's plastic, it was like the little square kind of ones that, that you flip open like that, and there it was, my red monster chasing flashlight. And I took it home, and I remember, you know, at night being scared and being like, you know, shining it. And I was like, all right, cool. And I turned it off, and I put it under my pillow because all was well now. But here's the deal. I was armed and dangerous. You see, I didn't just need something that lit up the room. I needed something that chased the things in that room. I needed something that turned away those things that I thought were in the dark, right? I needed a weapon. I needed to fight the darkness. I need something that would chase it away. You see, we often forget that the Lord said the world is a dark place, and he came to be a light. And it was a metaphor to say that the darkness is the realm of oppression in this world. Think about it. A young girl gets sold by her parents because they don't care anything about her into the sex trade. And she goes into slavery, Think about racism. Think about all, anything you can think of that's bad in this world. It belongs to the realm of darkness, and it belongs to Satan's realm of darkness. And Jesus said, 
I'm going to do something about that. I'm not not going to illuminate the place. I'm going to chase it away. I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to be a light. See, we often think of light as that peaceful, calming thing. But Jesus was a light that overpowered the darkness. He overpowered the darkness. You see, the light just doesn't illuminate the darkness. It overpowers the darkness. And Jesus said he was a light, that that's what he did. And guess what else he said? He said, church, you're also a light. When I live in you, you are a light to the world. We're not supposed to just illuminate. We're supposed to chase the darkness. We're supposed to overpower the darkness. We're supposed to let him shine through us. See, the light doesn't just illuminate the darkness. It overpowers it. And we are the light of the world. You see, we're supposed to be a force to be reckoned with. We aren't here just to illuminate, but to overpower the darkness in the world by being his hands and feet, by sharing Jesus with others, by joining in the spreading of the gospel, delivering people from the powers of darkness, from sin and death and the devil. Remember when Jesus looked at the crowds? He said, I have compassion on them. They are weak and helpless. They have cares on every side. They're being pressed in. They need someone. He says, I'm going to be that light, and I'm going to chase away their darkness. But here's the question I want to ask you, and this verse that's up here, you might even see it, what I'm getting ready to ask you. But first, let me read it. This is in John 12, one of the most amazing chapters in the Bible, but I love it because Jesus is talking about being light. It says this in verse 45, when they see me, he sees the one who sent me. I have come into the light as a into the world is a light so that no one who believes in me should walk in darkness what I want you to catch is that first verse when they see Jesus they saw the father Jesus was just a lamp that the father could shine through when they looked at Jesus they saw the father now here's my question to you when they see you do they see the one that sent you When they see you, when people look at you, do they see the one that sent you? Because Jesus came into the world as a light so that they would not remain in darkness. And they saw the Father in Jesus. He reflected them. When people look at you, do they see the one that sent you? Because you've already been commanded to go into all the world. Remember the verse? But it's not just there. If some of you might know when Jesus talked about the vine and the branches, what does he say in there? You didn't choose me. I chose you, and I chose you to go. Not your neighbor, not your husband, not your wife, not your friend, you. You can't look across the room and say anybody else. Jesus said, go. Jesus said, go. And in fact, in the Greek, in the Great Commission, it means as you are going. But do people see Jesus in you? And are we going? Are we going? What illuminated Jesus was the presence of the Father and the fact that he let the Father shine through him. The Spirit of God shone through Jesus And when you became a believer, the Spirit of God now lives in you, and you have a choice to let the Father shine through you. But you see, for the world to see the one that sent us, what does that mean? Think about what Jesus had to do so that the Father 
could shine through him. And what does that mean for us? It means somebody's got to get out of the way, right? It's either going to be you or the Lord. It was the same with Jesus. What if Jesus was like, look, Father, you made me do that whole carpenter gig, and I wasn't known for 30 years. I want to be known. And, whoa, 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 uh, Father, you, you're going to let this prostitute touch me? Uh, you want me to do that? No, Father, I, I don't know about that. Like, that's a sinner, okay? But he never said that. What did Jesus say? What did the scriptures say? Jesus said this. He said, I let the Father shine through me. I do exactly what I see the Father doing. I speak only the words I hear the Father saying. Father, not my will, your will. You see, Jesus got out of the way. He was a lamp that the Father could shine through. When they saw Jesus, they really saw the Father. Because the Father could shine through him. Because Jesus did exactly what he said. He did exactly what he said. What I'm trying to say is, is we aren't a force in this world because we aren't dying to ourselves. And that's what it takes to shine the light of Christ. We let fear hold us back from doing the things that Christ asks us to do because, quite frankly, the dark is scary, right? The darkness of the world, it frightens us. And so when he says, walk across over to that neighbor or go to Honduras or adopt an orphan or pray for healing for that person instead of die to ourselves and do it, we offer up our Christian justifications. Well, it's not in my gifting. Oh, I can't do that in front of people. Oh, I, I don't know. I, maybe I'll give a little bit of my... I don't, I don't know. I don't know. We have so many excuses. See, the problem is we want to progress in our relationship with Christ, right? Can we all say that? We say we want to, we want to bear fruit. We want to know him more. We want to walk closely with him. The problem is we want to progress in our relationship with Christ, and we can't, and we feel stalled, and we wonder why. And it's because we won't submit to the process to get the progress. We won't submit to the process to get to the progress. When we say no, it shuts down God's process in our lives. It shuts it down, closed, done for the day, and the dark winds, and lives that need to be pulled from the darkness, people that need to hear that God sent Jesus not to condemn the world, but to save the world because he's passionately, passionately in love with people, are going to go to hell. If you want progress, embrace process. And it's in dying to ourselves that we embrace his process. And that's when they see Jesus. You see, the Spirit of God shines through those who have died to themselves, who have died to public opinion, who have died to their fears, who have died to their dreams. You see, the more you look to him, the more you look like him. The more you look to him, the more you start to look like him. Let me say it a different way. What we, we become, what we behold. We become what we behold. Are you a lamp? Because you're gazing so much into the Father's eyes and into his word that is shining his light. Are you just operating in the flesh? Which is it for you? You see, the Spirit of God shines to the ones who say, I only stand on the blood of Jesus. I don't stand on the back of man or their opinions. I don't stand on my giftings. I don't stand on my fears. I don't stand on anything else except what Jesus Christ did to me. And he called me to do it. 
I'm going to do it. And if I have fears about it, I will let him walk me through it. He's the one that says, I'll walk through, with you through the valley of the shadow of death. He's the one that says, I'll guide you. He's the one that will be with us. He's the one that gives us strength. But are you a lamp that when they look at you, they see the Father? See, here's the deal. Did you know it's our responsibility to behold him and to light the fire of his presence? I love there's a song that Jesus Culture, it's a band that has from California. It says, I'll provide the body, you provide the flame. Meaning I'll be obedient and I'll be the body that you can fill with the fire of the Holy Spirit. With the presence of the living God and shine in this world. I'll say yes to you. I'll say yes to you, Father. I'll say yes to you. And I love it. It's our responsibility. Did you know that while God's given us his spirit, it's our job to fan the flames of the spirit, to keep in step with the spirit, to drink the Holy Spirit, to be filled with the spirit. Those are all Bible verses I just said. And there's a verse in Exodus, I love this, that I think illustrates this in a weird roundabout Brian Stiverson way. And it's in Exodus 27, 20. And this is commanding the Israelites to take oil to the temple. The temple is the place of his promised presence. Where God says, I'm going to meet with people. I want to meet with man. I want them to know that this world, it may be dark, but there's a place of hope. There's a place of light. There's a place of my presence. And this is what he says to the Israelites. Command the Israelites to bring clear oil. That clear could be translated pure. Pure oil. And catch this word, of pressed olives. Remember that word, pressed. For the light, so that the lamps may be kept burning. 24-7, the world and the nation of Israel was to be able to look at that temple and see it ablaze. Because fire and oil always represent the presence of God. And God says, I love this world. And it's a dark place because of sin and man's choice because of the devil. But guess what? There's a place you can meet with me that's going to be filled with light. And so he says, bring this into my house that it will eternally going. But see, God wasn't content just to dwell among his people in a temple, in the walls of a building. He wants to dwell in his people. And in Christ, we are the temple. We are the presence to take to the world. We are his people. You're God's house for his promised presence to take to the world. And he wants to shine through you so others can find him. But you have to be pressed. That word pressed. You have to be pressed. You see, they would put these olives in these baskets and they would press them to get the purest part of the oil to come out. And this is where I'm headed with this. You see, just like that olive that's pressed so that pure oil comes out to be lit, so our lives need to be pressed. So what's seen is of Christ. That they see Jesus in the purest part comes out of us is Jesus and then he lights the fire you see we're not responsible for the fire we're not responsible for anything else other than to surrender to, to the process to surrender to the process and dying to ourselves. that's what the picture of pressed is it's our lives are being pressed so the purest part can come out so the Holy Spirit can take the things in our lives the fears and all the stuff and all the circumstances 
and squeeze it until the pure part comes out, and then he can blaze it. And people will say, Christ did that for you. Jesus is the light of the world. He is hope. I see hope in you when there was no hope at all. You see, remember, God just said pressed. He didn't say crushed. Remember Corinthians? We are pressed, but we're not crushed. We are persecuted, but we are not abandoned. We are perplexed. We look at our circumstances. We look at our jobs. We look at the world around us. We look at our lives, and we're perplexed. Wait, wait, this doesn't match up. What? But what does the scripture say? But not without hope. We are perplexed, but not without hope. Are you willing to be pressed so the purest part comes out so God can blaze it a fire? The problem is, is we tell him no. We want safe things, but God can't shine through safe things because if they're safe to us, it means we think we are sufficient to do it rather than to rely upon his sufficiency. But the process says, God, I'll say yes to you, and I'll walk into that darkness. I'll walk in the place of being pressed. I'll walk into the perplexities of life. I'll walk amongst my fears because I know if I do and you press me, the purest part will come out, and I will be an overcomer. I will be unconquerable. I'll be a conquistador, what you were saying, more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. Why do we say no? We want to progress, but we won't submit to the process. We've got to let him shine. So I want to ask you, who do people see when they look at you? Who do people see when they look at you? Do they see you? Do they hear you? Or do they see the one that sent you? Do they see the one that you're listening to and now saying his words? Are you saying yes to him in every area of your life, even when everything seems against you, and saying, I will stand upon your promises because there's nothing else to stand upon, Lord. I will willingly let myself be pressed so the purest part could come out and you could send the fire of your Holy Spirit and blaze. Will you be the body? Because he'll be the flame. I want to read one last verse to you. Therefore, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, the other day, uh, Charles Cameron was uh, repairing my car, which he seems to be doing a lot lately. And we were having a conversation. And um, it's something I'd heard before, but I love it. He said, you know, we're going to do a lot of things in heaven that we do here. We're going to worship. We're going to do all this different stuff. Most of it we'll still do when we get to heaven. But the one thing we're not going to do is evangelism. And people are going to hell. And God says, go. I want you to watch this video. something about this being called by God to another country, uh, following that calling, uh, and just entirely throughout the week to seeing what God had, had you to be there exactly for that time. I think the thing that impacted me most were the relationships and the, the meeting with Pastora and seeing her as a counterpart to my friends here in the States and to my mom, because I'm from a, a pastor's family. and. 
I felt a, a kindred spirit with Pastora and with the daughters and, and the children. I had the privilege of leading a group down that included uh, Miss Sandy Farrell and Miss Jane Germany, my mom, Vicki, and uh, my daughter, Alexis. And I never could have dreamed that that group of people, that mix of people, could be down in Honduras and loving these girls, but receiving more from the Lord than we ever could have imagined. They rescue girls who have been through horrible experiences. Some of them have been sold by their parents. Some of them have just been deserted by their parents. Some of them have been abused by their parents in ways that we could not even imagine that a parent would do to a child. And now they live in a loving home with loving people. And it was just awesome to see. They were so happy to see us. And uh, we were meeting strangers. I was meeting strangers, but it wasn't but a couple seconds and we were friends. Um, they knew only Spanish. We knew only English. But the communication was 100%. Just seeing how they praise Jesus in everything that they do and they give everything to him even though they have so little. What impacted me is the realization uh, that I came to um, as we went this time how God was working with the team that went last June. Um, we had thought that we knew the sister congregation that we were going to be partnering with and the community we were going to be partnering with. We were pretty sure of that. And then this add-on church at the last minute that we really thought was just an add-on church at the last minute um, became the church that through a little bit of tension and praying and struggling, we all felt very clearly that that was the direction that God was leading. And when we went back this time, it, it was evident that God had orchestrated that last June for a time such as a few weeks ago. I love it. Because so often we're like, God, I don't have anything to give. We have our excuses. And we feel like it's like a, we have a drop in the bucket. And we're like, that's all I got to give. God says, give it. Give it away. Give it away. And so you pour it out to somebody else. And what God does is he overflows your bucket. And that's not why we do it. But if you've talked to anybody that went on a Honduras trip, that's what he does. That's what he does. See, here's the deal. We went to two different places. We went to our sister church in El Zabote. We also went to, into Choloma um, for the second time to a, a ministry called Compelled by Christ, where they take in girls and orphans and it's all girls, but girls that have been sold in the sex trade have been rescued and restored. And you know that song we were singing with, you know, the trumpet and the trombone, that God is good. The first Sunday we went to worship with these girls, we load up in this bus, and it was packed. You could not move, and it was amazing. We couldn't move around, and, you know, we couldn't understand everything, and we're trying. It was so awesome. And we went to the church, and they blasted that song. And these girls who, who people basically said, no one cares about you, and no one loves you, you're, you're worthless, had been bought back 
but also bought back by the blood of Jesus because somebody cared enough to rescue them. And with them, we celebrated, enjoy that song. You see, that ministry in Shaloma started out with a sister church in Lake Wales. And there was a lady named Bonnie who probably never thought she would go on a mission trip, never thought she would go there and find a passion because she went with her sister church and went there to, to minister and found there was a big problem in Shaloma with the sex trade. And she started compelled by Christ. And now kids are being rescued. And you never know what God is going to do. You never know. But will you empty whatever you have in the bucket that you're so trying to hold on to and securely and let God fill your bucket back up? Will you let him? You see, it's our vision at TBA Church. We want every person that's capable to step foot in Honduras or on the mission field because we know it will radically change your perspective. It will change your walk with Christ. It will change you. It doesn't matter if it's in Uganda or Kenya or wherever it is, but we want to help you with that if that's the case. But most people don't know where to go, where to start. We want you to come to Honduras. And we have a sister church there that you're going to hear a little more about in a second that we are excited about, that we want to build that long-lasting relationship and reach people for Christ. And there's going to be needs in El Sabote, in that community, that God's going to bring up. And I'm, I'm just going to tell you one, because I don't know if it's what, what God's leading, but we went into the schools and got to, to hang out with the kids. You could pretty much go into the school and tell them about Jesus. Very, very different. And we went in. It was amazing being with the kids. And when we were there, um, I remember we were asking about, I think Lori was the one that was asking, was finding about the education. And not many kids go to school because they can't afford the uniform and the, the paper and the pencil. And we're like, well, wait a second. You mean there's kids that have no education because they can't afford all just that simple, simple things like a uniform, a pencil, and paper, and a backpack? They said, yeah, maybe one of you need to go and start that. Maybe it's something else, but God's calling you. Will you watch this next video? TBA's relationship with El Zapote, I think, is, is huge. I could see that we, we could make a big impact in quality of life, uh, in education, which will directly impact quality of life for the people of El Zapote, and ultimately um, to, to have all of that around the central hub of glorifying God and um, and, and those would just be um, results of the church's work in that area. One thing I, I think the, our sister church is so needy that we really need to be involved in that, helping them with their needs. And I wasn't, I was only visited, visited once, so I don't know the total situation, but the church has no windows or doors. They have an outhouse. <laughs> There's so much improvement that can be done. Everything from, you know, the church and its building, um, you know, they are really wanting to um, 
you know, expand uh, to allow themselves to have a bigger building, to allow themselves, um, you know, soccer fields where they can invite the community to come out and really, you know, be a community at the church. Um, and uh, everything from education, you know, there you have to be able, in order to attend school there, you have to be able to um, pay for your books and your uniform and even just those, you know, simple needs, you know, there are folks who can't afford to do that and can't afford to send their kids to school. I look at the sister church in Shaloma and they've been there for seven years and they have all kinds of community outreach and they have small groups and they have a praise dance team and they have a huge church of like, I don't even know how many people, five, six hundred people were in there. Um, they're impacting their community. Uh, I, I see that so much for El Zapote. It's a very much smaller um, church building, um, but I know we've got such ability in that community. There's so many lives in that community to be reached, and there are needs, there are basic needs um, that desperately need to be met, but there are spiritual needs that we can come along and just in relationship with them completely bring that pastor's dream to life. I know we can. I see our impact um, being a huge um, bolster in faith and encouragement and hope to the pastor's family and to the church because um, it's hard going that road alone um, when we got there you know the family had suffered a lot of setbacks with their health uh, especially the pastor's health and financially and you know there was kind of a sense of not defeat but just you know like they had had a lot of bad things happen and were beaten down a little bit and by the time we left, just in our visiting together, we didn't build anything. Uh, we didn't do any. All we did was visit and talk and encourage each other. And I think that that's part of, of one of, of the role of TBA too is is not to just help in the community, but also to help bolster um, the family that's in charge of the church or been charged with growing the church to help them and, and encourage them along the way, kind of put our arm around them so that they can they can do the ministry God set for them there. They are waiting for us. They are, they are really waiting for us. They are waiting for someone, and it doesn't matter if you speak English, you speak Spanish, you know, but they were for someone bring the light. As we would pray for the pastor's family, we um, Ariel kind of led us uh, to pray individually for them, so we kind of you know, laid hands on them, and everybody, we prayed Honduran style, which means everybody prays all at the same time, and so um, we uh, we did this more than once during the trip, um, but we did uh, we did it the last night that we uh, were with um, the pastor and, and their family, and um, it was just something about um, the pastor's oldest son, Marlon, his uh, his wife. It was something about his wife that I, I just, you know, God led me to say, you know, you you need to go and, and be with her. You need to go and pray with her. And um, I don't know why. I don't know. We only knew kind of you know pieces of all of their stories and everything like that. But um, you know, I, I kind of felt the shove in that direction. And so um, as we were you know uh, praying all together before we left. Um, you know, went over and um, we had oil and, and, you know, I anointed her head and, and almost immediately as I anointed her head, uh, you know, she began to cry um, and it just kind of evolved into, 
you know, the two of us just hugging and crying and praying together. And I had no idea what she was saying, and I think she had no idea what I was saying, but it didn't matter. Um, and so um, I think that experience of uh, just praying together and praying for them and really kind of, um, you know, having the, the language barrier not matter um, because of the language of love. Man, God's limitless. And if we'll say yes, I think there's no telling what God will do. Will you say yes to him? I want to show you what you guys, remember when we raised money for instruments, a keyboard and other instruments? I want to show you, I got to go with Pastor Malone. And um, I don't even know if they call him Pastor Malone, but he's the worship pastor, and he, he felt his calling to be a pastor while we were there, renewed we were there, and it's the oldest son, and uh, that's him. Now, he was borrowing a keyboard that sounded like a tinker toy that was making all kinds of odd things, or maybe it was me when I was trying to play guitar. And, um, but we went over to, if you've been to Guitar Center, and you've seen how big it is, it was, we went there, and, but it was different, man. It was like the CIA and the mafia owned it or something. Like, people would disappear, we'd say we want this, and people would go back and forth, and Ariel was there, like, saying stuff, and we'd see the money, and then we'd be like, an hour later, did they still have our money? Do we have a keyboard? It was the craziest thing. But we got that keyboard for him, and you can see he's pretty pumped and pretty excited. He was really excited. But we only got the keyboard. I want to tell you where the rest of the money went. Two or three weeks before we went on the trip, we got an urgent Facebook message from his daughters. You see, Pastor Medardo wrestles. He has, like, terrible, terrible diabetes and circulation. And I don't know a whole lot about this. But I know Hearts of Honduras and the, the pastors on the ground, everybody got involved when all this happened. But during the rainy season, his entire roof collapsed in at his house. You go to his house, and they're living out of just certain rooms, all squinched together. You know, the, the kitchen and the living room and the master bedroom are all one. Because there's no roof on the house, only parts of it. And um, apparently Pastor Medardo was trying to repair his ceiling or the um, roof for his family and hit a nail with his, his hand. And because of his diabetes, it got infected extremely quick and through his circulation to the point where they thought they were going to have to remove the whole arm. Unless he went to, there's different, you can go to a doctor and they'll lop off your arm. Or you can, if you're rich, you can go to a hospital and they'll take care of you. And I want you to know that instead of losing his arm, Pastor Medardo only lost a finger is because of what you gave. That's good news. That, that's cool. Thank you, TBA. Thank you for giving. But we went, and this is the thing. I know we get a lot of questions. Glenn and I were talking about this. You know, well, I'll just serve locally. Well, first of all, God commands us to, to go locally and globally. It's just God commands it. Enough said. But, you know, let's go there. Um, when I got there, I saw a pastor who had been through so much. He was so broken. But by the time we left, and it took Jeanette to, to show me, to say, hey, remember that picture? Of a pastor who transformed and was smiling. Because we blessed him from just our presence being there. And I'm not trying to toot our own horn, because any one of us would say, 
that we were far more blessed and we didn't do anything. But this family had renewed hope that Christ was doing something. And this is what, what God showed me. We're better together. That's why we do these things. This is why we go to Honduras. It's the body of Christ. And if we just stay here in our holy huddle, we never get outside of that. And God's power doesn't bust through. And we had the chance to go and encourage a pastor and say, God's going to do great things in this community. We're just here to partner with you. Let us know what we can do. And so I want to let you guys know, and I'm going to ask Pastor Ariel to come up. I want him to pray over Pastor, for Pastor Medardo. But we have an upcoming June trip. And if you're on that June trip, could you please stand? If you're on the June trip, if you're going on the June trip, please stand. There's one in the first. Right on, guys. You guys can sit. See how much youth, youth are going. Isn't that cool? That's awesome. But here's the deal. We're going to build a roof on Pastor Medardo's house. And you want, you want to know why? He wants to build a community center where kids can come and have the internet instead of going two hours every day to get internet to do their schoolwork at his house. And then, sounds like Highland City, sounds like the stuff we want to do, right? And he wants to have them there, and then he's going to show them the love of Christ. And we're going to build that. Right, Glenn? We're going to build it. And this June trip's going to be awesome. But I want Pastor Ariel... Um, to pray for Pastor Medardo. Pastor Medardo, it's like he's on staff at TVA. He's one of our pastors, just like Pastor Ariel, okay? So we need to be praying for him and supporting him and doing whatever we can. So Ariel, take us away, man. Um, we're going to do this different way, what normally we do. We're going to do it like in Spanish. So I'm going to pray in Spanish because for me it's hard to pray in English. They know I try to speak my English. But you know, it's, this is something that God is stuck you know, he start knocking your door and say, hey, I need you to be the light. This is the time. This is right now. It's not tomorrow. It's not next year. It's now. I don't know if you connected. I don't know if you see Pastor Merardo. Really, he is the one that really, he don't want anything from him. What he really want is that we did it for the community. All what he asking is for the community. And we're asking... What do you want? Um, we want to help you. We want to do something for you. We want to make something that really make you to, you know, to continue what God called you. But say, you know what I want, really? The community. The kid. That's what his heart. And that's what God doing. And I don't know you, but this is the time that God told you, be the lie. If you want to do that, if you want to be the lie, that, and you feel that God told you right now, Yes, I want to do it. I encourage you to just stand up and do what I do normally in Spanish. Raise your hand and let's go pray. If you want to be that lie, you go and stand up. This is the time for you. I don't know you, but this is the time God starts everybody. But if you feel that, just stand up up and raise your hand and let God move. And let's pray. We're going to pray for Pastor Geraldo and tell him, God... Touch him, bless him, do whatever you need to do, and do on me what you want to do. I open my heart, I open my mind, do it. Here I am. Let's go. Amantísimo Dios y Padre Celestial, te adoramos, Señor. Venimos delante de tu presencia, oh Dios, 
adorándote, oh Dios. Pero a la misma vez venimos abriendo nuestro corazón, Señor, para que Tú hagas con nosotros como Tú quieras, oh Dios. Oh Padre amado, enséñanos, Señor. Avívanos, Señor. Oh Padre amado, estamos dispuestos a ser la luz de este mundo. Estamos dispuestos a alumbrar, Padre amado, a Honduras, Señor. Oh Señor, úsanos a cada uno de manera especial. Oh mi Dios amado, venimos delante de ti presentándote a Pastor Merardo, Dios amado. Yo te pido, Señor, que tu bendición sea en este momento con él. Que tu bendición, Padre amado, sea derramada sobre él y su familia, Señor. Yo te pido que tú, Señor amado, los toque de manera especial. Que tu Espíritu Santo los abrace de una manera especial. Que es mi Dios amado, allí donde ellos se encuentran, en el lugar y la comunidad, Señor, tu bendición, Señor, sea derramada sobre cada uno de ellos, oh Dios. Gracias te doy, Señor. Gracias, Padre amado, porque hay un, un pueblo que se pone de pie, mi Dios amado, esperando hacer lo que tú quieres que hagamos. Aquí hay un pueblo que se levanta, Padre amado, Señor, a que tú los uses como tú quieres que sean usados, oh Dios. Bendice a cada uno, Señor. Toca sus corazones, llénalos de manera especial, Padre amado, y que cada uno, mi Dios, pueda tener esta maravillosa experiencia que es el servirte a ti. Gracias te damos, oh Dios. En el nombre de Jesús te lo pedimos, mi Dios. Amén, amén, amén. You can be seated. So here's my last question for you. Actually, I'm going to ask you a couple questions. When they look at you, who do they see? And if you want progress, submit to the process. Where are you at? How long have you been saying no to the Lord? Don't stall out. Submit to his process and there'll be progress. Who do they see in you? Will you be the body? He'll provide the flame. Watch this video. Ben, you can come up. I honestly had no intention of going like when they talked about it last year it was like it's not anything I'm really interested in doing but yet what my heart was was even as a child I kind of felt like I wanted to be a missionary or maybe to go somewhere overseas and God just worked in my heart and helped me to see that this was my opportunity to do something that I had thought about like 40 years ago and I knew not to be afraid of age or infirmities or anything. I knew to just trust God to go, and I did. And so that would be my thing to encourage anyone is don't think that you have something in your life that might keep you from going. Go for it. Dream more than you dream right now. You know, it's outside. There are something that really God wants to do with you, but you have to let it to do it. You have to open your heart. Open your mind, open your body, complete it, and go for it. Don't be shy. I'm the shy person, really. I'm so hard for me to go and even speak here. So go for it, and you're going to see how God is going to work in you and the rest of the world. One of the coolest things that I saw was that um, Jane and Sandy, as the grandmother types, uh, were amazing with those girls and they were real standoffish at first they didn't really know none of us really knew where our place would be 
with the girls at Compelled by Christ, but um, the girls loved them, and they were saying, Abuela, Abuelita, and just really loving that grandmother role. And um, one day, Miss Jane said, uh, I feel like I have a purpose again. And I just love, I loved that. Like she, our, our older generation in our church have so much to share and so much to offer even to us here. And here she went all the way down to Honduras and then God brought her back that purpose, that passion uh, for serving. Look at me. I'm 80 and a half years old. Never had a passport, never been out of the country. And I just returned from Honduras. Never thought I'd do anything like that, were able to do anything like that, but I managed well, had lots of help, too much sometimes, and it was wonderful. I, I would, it's a memory I have that I'll never forget. There's blessings to behold once you get to Coloma, Honduras. Um, God blessed me while I was there. He blessed me on the way back. It's become a part of me. And daily, I just thank God for the opportunities to meet these people and make them a part of my life. You love them, but they love you as well, and you just get that connection which makes you want to go back and do more for them. I had so many fears about going, um, about leaving my daughter who I'd never been away from for more than a few hours. Um, and leaving her for eight days um, and getting through the financial piece of it of how do we raise those funds or, or how do we you know manage um, financially to to make that trip happen um, and you know what it all came together if he puts it in in your heart to go on this trip then you should do it and not be worried that you're going to get into something that you can't do or that's going to be beyond what you can take because God's going to supply you with what you need um, internally and externally to be able to do the work he's given you to do. It's kind of that, you know, step of faith. Until you experience it firsthand, uh, I don't think you can ever understand what it's like to go there, what a blessing it is to go there. Uh, they weren't lying when you say you, you really are bringing your heart to Honduras, and I think you leave a piece of it there because... As soon as you leave, you're dying to get back, and you're just so connected with the people there. It's just as an experience you have to uh, have yourself. It's life-changing for you. Pretty much, what I thought where I was going to help, God had decided that He was going to help me. I saw God open up my heart to His love, both to be able to receive it and to give it because I saw other people that had been hurt beyond anything that I've ever dealt with in my life, but yet even some of them had only been there like four months, but yet the transformation in their life was incredible. You know that deep down they still had pain and they still had things to overcome, but yet basically they were happy and they were healthy and they loved God and they were maybe poor in things according to our standards, but very rich in love. What I saw God do 
in my life personally was open my heart more to other people and allow myself to love people and to get to know people without a fear of, oh dear, you know, this is going to cost you something somewhere. If you feel an inkling, go. Don't let fear, don't let weight, don't let uh, motherhood, don't let um, age, don't let any of that hold you back from missing out on what God has for you if you will say yes to him. 